Welcome to the Linked Up Church Podcast. We are passionate about connecting people to God, family, purpose, and community. Today, Pastor Trish Gregory starts a brand new life-changing series entitled Healthy Love. Get your pen and your pad ready, and let's go into the worship center and hear what God has for us today. This is the time of year that I am up here with my beloved husband, but he is receiving his healing on this morning, on today. I just spoke to him. He's feeling a lot better, but I don't remember the last time my baby had a fever. And last night he had a fever. And so it was wise and prudent for him to just stay home and get some rest. So um, I'm holding down the fort today. All of you first-time visitors, I invite you to come back to receive from both my husband and myself on next Sunday as we continue our series that I will introduce on today called Healthy Love, all right? So, we had some fun first service, but boy, it was rough. So y'all came in here like charged up and ready. That's just a totally different direction of pull uh, this morning. So, um, praise God there, and uh, thank you for bringing your supply. Um, All right. So let's dive all into it. So we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, healthy love, the topic of healthy love. So we want to talk about and learn more about what it means to exercise and function in healthy love. How do we love God? How does God love us? And how do we love one another? But most of all, all that is centered around how we learn to love ourselves. Okay? So we're really going to dive in. I'm really going to take my time. We're going to take our time going through this because we want to hit home to make sure we color the picture of what healthy love is as well as what healthy love is not. Okay? So let's talk about definitions. The first definition, healthy. Now, I looked up Google because that seems to be everybody's point of reference these days. And so... um, There's this thing on my page. I don't know how to get rid of it. Um, Okay, there it is. And it came back. All right, so, Bernard, I need you to sneak out here. You over there? Oh, no, not, okay. It just went, what is that? All right, so what is healthy love? Healthy. All right, the definition of healthy, according to Google, is the state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, not merely the absence of dis-ease or infirmity or any weakness. The definition for love is a willingness to prioritize another's well-being or happiness above your own regardless of their response. See, I don't lost some of y'all already. Ah, those of you joining us online, thank you. Hi, honey. I know you're looking at this service. Drink your fluids. Um, So when we, of course, that last definition of love, prioritizing someone else's well-being above your own, regardless of their response, is based upon you knowing how to love yourself. I think he got it. If not, I'll just function around it, but thank you. So if we, don't worry about it, I'll just function around it. 
Don't, don't lose the whole message now. <laughs> All right, so it's in me, so praise God. Anyway, so the whole point of talking about healthy love is really get honing in and understanding what it means to love God, what it means to be loved by God, and also with that, loving yourself. Because how you love yourself is just a reflection, how you love others is just a reflection of how you love yourself. Oftentimes, the issues that we have in relationships have very little to do with the other person. It has a whole lot to do with us. Now, we can control us, but we cannot control other people. And just because other people may not respond to our intentions... It does not remove us from the responsibility of loving them. All right? So, what does it mean? What does God have to say to the believer about love towards others? This is our foundational scripture. It says, beloved children, our love cannot be an abstract theory we only talk about. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 from the Passion Translation. He goes on to say, but a way of life demonstrated through our loving deeds. We know that the truth lives within us because we demonstrate love in action, which will reassure our hearts in his presence. Whenever our hearts makes us feel guilty and remind us of our failures, we know that God is much greater and more merciful than our conscience. And he knows everything there is to know about us. God is not stuck on what you did. God is not stuck on your prison sentence. God is not stuck on when you got caught. God is not stuck on having four or five different babies' mamas or babies' daddies. God is not stuck on your disease. God is not stuck on your infirmity. God is not stuck on your socioeconomic status. God is stuck on you and getting you to his promises, his purposes, his peace, his provision, and his prosperity. Goes on to say, my delightfully loved friends, when our hearts try to condemn us, we have a bold freedom to speak face-to-face with God. And whatever we ask him, we receive. Now, we use this scripture a lot in prayer because it's true, but it is steeped in love. He says, and whatever we ask of him, we receive because we keep his commandments. And by our beautiful intentions, we continue to do what brings pleasure to him. So, these are his commandments, that we continually place our trust in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we keep loving one another just as he has commanded us. Because to love God means to obey him. To love God means to obey him. When we offer up excuses, God knows my heart. Yeah, he knows your heart is to disobey him. You don't love him. Right? My husband had an auntie. (laughs) I love that auntie. She passed away. She's going on to be with the Lord now. But he had an auntie on his father's side, and she would say that a lot. God knows my heart. God knows my heart. I mean, serious, too. While she's smoking her cigarette. And going off on folk. But anyway, we, we trust and believe that we'll see uh, her up in heaven one day. But anyway. So, listen, I want to give to you some interesting information. Science tends to prove God right all the time, 
even though it sets out to prove him wrong. So here are some statistics, and I'll end it, these statistics by what God had to say about them. Now, this is the state of relationships today. It says, uh, I pulled this information. This first set of information comes from the Georgia Bureau of Justice. In the state of Georgia, 2021 statistics, 35.1% of women, and check this out, 39.9% of men suffered violence or abuse from, a domestic, from domestic abuse from an intimate partner. More men in 2021 suffered domestic abuse from an intimate partner than women did in the state of Georgia. Ladies, y'all done gone wild. <laughs> Not these ladies, I'm sorry. Your cousins have gone wild. <laughs> Say it's not me. In 20, I mean, that's, that's a true statistic in the state of Georgia. 2021, Georgia Bureau of Justice. In 2021, almost 80% of criminals that are in prison are in there because of domestic or, um, or, or, or domestic or family violence. It was violence committed against another person that they supposedly loved. Almost 80% of criminals. The Pew Research study of 2022 says that one in seven children have suffered childhood abuse in America. It also says that 38% of marriages among churchgoers, not Christians, because we know not all Christians go to church, but 38% of churchgoers, their marriages end in divorce. Not me. I know that's right. Not me either. <laughs> you can have that statistic, right? Now, this one was interesting. This is an article from Psychology Today, Learning to Love and Be Loved, 20, 2019 article. It says two out of three adults have had a of issue called ACE, Adverse Childhood Experiences, most of which were neglect and cruelty. However, it also includes sexual abuse, molestations, physical abuse, verbal abuse, abandonment, addiction in the home, incarceration, separation, and or divorce. Those are adverse childhood experiences. Now, before I go into the rest of the information, it says two out of three adults. So every three adults, two of them have suffered some type of adverse childhood experience. So in other words, if you were to call little Andre in the room and you saying, little Andre, get your blankety blank over here. Now mama loves me. I know mama takes care of me because Minister Johnny said don't use his name no more because I used his name first service. <laughs> so I had to use Andre. So mama loves me. I know she loves me. So it must be okay that she cusses at me. This is considered cruelty. So the child then grows up thinking it's okay to love but cuss at somebody. Now, don't mess around and then fall in love with somebody that didn't come from that household. We don't cuss at each other in this household. It's acceptable to cuss in my household. Y'all get together, have a kid, and now all of a sudden you want to do this, and you think this is okay, and this still demonstrates love. It does not. And this is where it becomes adverse. Not that they don't love you, 
But the state of love in this person, based off of their experience, is perverted. Daddy drank. He was drunk most of the time, but he always went to work and provided for us. So I love my, my, I love my daddy because I know my daddy loved us. I'm just giving an example. And so it's okay to deal with addiction. I don't drink no more, but maybe I watch pornography all the time. Maybe I eat a whole lot. Maybe I done picked up gambling. Maybe I'm addicted to working. Because addictive behavior is not limited to the substance. Addictive behavior encompasses anything we do obsessively. Especially when it's not good for us. Listen to the excerpts out of two articles. One says, this is from the Fermata Psychotherapy 2022 article, How Childhood Experiences Impact Love Styles. It says, these experiences, what I just read, may impact how we come to feel about closeness, intimacy, vulnerability, and dependability on others. Our internal world becomes populated by our experiences of others as we internalize aspects of our early relationship with meaningful people, especially our parents or caretakers. So how we internalize things in our own lives, in our childhood, blossoms into how we behave as adults. And when we become born again, because I know I'm talking to a majority of saints, when we become born again, this is why God says that we have to repent about face from our old ways, renew our minds, and walk in the fullness of the truth of God's word, which is why we're always telling you, oh, we don't say nothing new. You have to have a relationship with him, and you build that relationship by your time in the word. You are not going to, your salvation experience should convict you to want more of God. It is not merely to come up here and have a special prayer because you felt bad about what you did last night. It should be a conversion. And in that conversion now, I'm adopting new thought patterns, which will create new behaviors, which will give me different results. This is a good one because this one came out of a Christian-based organization called Focus on the Family. They wrote another article as well entitled the same thing in 2016, How Childhood Experiences Impact Love Styles. And it says, our pattern of relating to others is set in motion long before we meet our spouse. Our childhood experiences and the way our parents related to us have imprinted certain thought patterns and behaviors on us we call these imprints love styles. For a few of us, our early love lessons were ideal. Our love style is healthy and positive for the most part. However, most of us, though, had some hurtful experiences resulting in a harmful imprint and impaired love style that can handicap our marriage relationship. Naturally, all of us feel we are doing our best as spouses. To do our best, we must or we have to take an honest look at what hinders us. Keep in mind that the goal is not to find fault with our parents. The goal is to acknowledge the truth about our childhood so that we have a roadmap for growth and change. 
So, yes, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, auntie and uncle, whoever it was that raised you may not have raised you ideally, may not relate it to you ideally. But at the end of the day, my husband always would say to me, one of the hardest things to get people to do is to accept responsibility. So, you know, albeit this is not a counseling session, but I do want you to embrace, consider, and really check yourself to accept responsibility for where you are today and the state of your relationships today because when you become a grown, you become a free thinker. Paul says, when I was a child, I ate as a child, I behaved as a child, but when I became a man, I had to put away childish things. So the same way you had to surrender total dependence on mom and dad when you went to college, when you got that first job, when you started doing whatever, moving into your first place, is the same way now that you have to abandon and leave that the harmful, adverse experience of childhood and now build yourself into adulthood, into the person that God truly created you to be. We know that a lot of our experiences as a sum total, a lot of our who we are is the sum total of our experiences. But your experiences were not meant to be a barrier in Christ. Your experiences simply become a bridge. Now, praise God. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story about my son. Um, now, my son, my baby, he is the strong-willed. Very, very determined, very, very color outside of the lines individual version of me and my husband. That boy, he, if, if he, 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 he going to figure it out. He is going to do great things in Jesus' name. Now, he's fine. He's not out there doing that. I mean, he, that's not his story. Um, but I, I just know he's going to do great things in, in Jesus' name. I also know he's running from a calling. However, my son... In his, in his ways, there was something that happened. I don't even remember what happened, but I remember we had to sit down at the kitchen table and we had to have a talk with him. In fact, I think it was him and his sister, just because she, she just became a part of this lecture by default. <laughs> and so he sits there and we're trying to explain to him and we would often say to our kids, when we grew up, we did this like this. And we were, we were growing up, this happened to us and we had to go through this and we had this experience. We didn't get a chance to do that. We didn't have that when we were growing up. And all this here stuff, so we would often talk about what our experiences was when we were growing up and how we didn't have and this didn't happen and, this, and the sacrifices that our parents had to make and what we went through. And we're telling my husband, my son this, our kids this, uh, in an effort to get them to understand what we sacrificed for them but also to understand that it could be worse. My son looks boldly at us and says, you keep talking about what you had, what you didn't have, and what went on. That's not my experience. This is my floor. This is my floor. I don't know nothing different, so I can't relate. And for me, I had to step back and was like, you know what? We created a great life for this young man. For these little people, at that time they were little, she grown now, both of them grown now, and live out the house. Praise the Lord most of the time. But, but they did not have our experiences, so I cannot expect them to respond to us the same way. 
So what, what, what I mean by that? When we were growing up, when I was growing up, we were broke. We weren't poor, but we were broke. My parents were broke. They scraped to make things happen for us. So I didn't get a chance. Now, I'm, I'm going I'm to date myself a little bit. I'm that Generation X. My parents were baby boomers. So, you know, I wanted the coach person, the guest genes. How many of y'all remember that? Oh, yeah. The, and then, you know, before that, it was the Calvin Klein and the Vidal Sassoons and the Jordashes and the Gloria Vanderbilts, right? Polo, Isaiah, y'all know nothing about that. Right? So I wanted that, but my parents couldn't get that from me. So if I wanted it, it was either a special, special gift, or I would come up with half and they would give me some. And so that was their way of loving me and rewarding me. Same thing for my husband. He, he grew up in a house of 12 people sharing one bathroom. Praise the Lord. And so when his mom was doing something special for him and, and would express love to him, it was to get him some special things, those root boots. Y'all remember those roots boots? You got to be from north, Northwest, maybe. But roots and, and posts. So she would get him special things, those gym shoes for the game, right? So their expression of love was by way of material relay. They would give us things. That was their expression of love. So by default... Again, I'm talking about childhood, adverse childhood experiences and how they can impact the next generation. So by default, we ex adopt our expression of love to be a conveyance of material things. Well, if our kids were used to receiving whatever they wanted for the most part, we made them earn some things, a lot of things, but for the most part, they knew that if they really, really needed, they had it. So if our relay then is to express love through material things and they don't get it, it's because they've always had material things. So that's not how they receive love. So now I have to step back and look at how does this one receive love versus how does this one receive love? It was amazing to me that when my, both of my parents passed away within two years of each other, my brother and I would talk and it's amazing how different our upbringing was raised by the two same parents in the same house, and we're only a year and a half apart, but yet we had totally different experiences. So to take our experiences and impose it on another person, thinking they're supposed to respond the same way, is moot. It's, it's, it's not profitable. It's not fruitful because they won't. Told you I was going to take my time with this. So these childhood experiences are uh, only to be expected as the days grow nigh. So what do I mean by that? As the end of age comes closer and closer, and we are coming closer and closer and closer to the, last, the end of days, right? He tells us exactly what's going to happen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, and I'm reading from the Passion Version. He says, people will become self-centered lovers of themselves and obsessed with money. People talk about, I love myself, self-love, I love myself. But we have such a perverted sense of what loving ourselves is. Because here, God lets us know it's not healthy. Self-centered lovers of themselves and obsessed with money. Buying you nice things, a nice haircut, some lip injections, and a BBL does not mean loving yourself. Yeah. 
Some fresh kicks and a new car and some jewelry does not equal loving yourself. Loving yourself is seeing yourself as a holy temple, sanctified by God, cleansed by the blood. Loving yourself is abstaining from the very appearance of evil and shunning sin. That's what loving yourself is, right? It's okay to have nice things, but that does not define loving you. He goes on to say, they will boast of great things as they strut around in their arrogant pride and mock all that is right. It don't take all that. They will ignore their own families and they will be ungrateful and ungodly. They will become addicted to hateful and malicious slander. Slaves to their desires, they will be ferocious, belligerent haters of what is good and right. With brutal treachery, they will act without restraint, do whatever they want. Do whatever they want at anybody's cost. Bigoted and wrapped in clouds of their own conceit, they will find their delight in the pleasures of this world more than the pleasures of loving God. So it's more desirable to do what's in the world than it is to do what is godly. I love what happened on Friday night. I hear that there was over 100 young adults that showed up for the Friday night vision board party hosted by the outlet, Minister Bernard. And you got all these young people there creating vision boards, forecasting and declaring what the future will look like by faith. That's loving God and, and choosing God over the pleasures of the world. Because they could have been at a club somewhere, at a bar somewhere, right? They may pretend to have a respect for God, but in reality, they want nothing to do with God's power. Stay away from people like these. So when we consider the condition of so many today, listen, the number one target for the enemy is the nuclear family. If he can destroy the family, he can destroy the kingdom of God. So if he could get bust up parents, if he could bust up marriages, if he could, if he could create situations for children growing up in poverty or in crime-ridden areas where gun violence is at a, at a high, number two, cause of suicide from children, seven to 28 is suicide. What is that? What is that? So, seven years old? So if he can get that, then he knows that he is, he thinks that he is winning. But we know how the story ends, right? He does too, he just don't believe it. And so there is this perpetuation and denigration of the family. Continually, if we continue, if people continue with not checking themselves, not growing up, not maturing, then it just becomes worse with each generation, worse with each generation, more with each generation, more with each generation. And then we're wondering why things look the way they look. So now, how does God define love? How does God define love? Verse 18 he gives us an answer of our foundational scripture, 1 John chapter 3. He says in verse 18, a demonstration through our loving deeds. A demonstration through our loving deeds. 
what are those loving deeds? Well, he gives us that answer too. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, I'll start reading from the Passion Translation. He says, love is large and incredibly patient. We love that, don't we? When I first heard that, I was like, okay, yeah, so I have issues with love already. <laughs> love is large and incredibly patient. It endures situations. It won't be a doormat, but it endures. He goes on to say, love is gentle and consistently kind towards all. Love is gracious. Let me explain to you. We get gracious and, grace and mercy mixed up. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting the punishment you do deserve. You understand the difference? Grace is getting the favor, the prosperity, the harvest that you did not earn. But mercy is not getting the punishment that you do earn. I know me, if I, it, it, what could have, should have, and would have happened on many of occasions, but I know it was but for the mercy of God. And though I try with all my might to do what I'm supposed to do, it still pales in comparison to where I should be. But thank God for Jesus who makes up the gap, and therefore I get to enjoy his grace, his prosperity, his healing, his deliverance. His freedom. So he says here that love is gentle, that's, that's gracious, that's, that's, uh, that, that's, that's tender. And he said, and constant, consistently kind to all. Okay, so what is kind to all? I told you I'm going to take my time. Kind to all. Oftentimes, you know, we hear that and we sort of like, okay, kind to all. I'm nice to everybody. I don't wanna... Let me tell you, there's a difference between being nice and being kind. I'll give you a real live example. Uh, some time ago, actually it's not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, I had put on my eye makeup, you know, my, my eyeliner and my mascara, and I was in a hurry that morning, so I just did that and ran out the house. Now, I had stopped at the store, and I had stopped at Starbucks. I should have said coffee shop. I'm not, I don't want to give no names. But anyway, I stopped at those two places, looked at a couple, few people. No one said nary a word. I said nary a word. <laughs> they were being nice because it wasn't until I got into the office and I'm talking to Joni and Minister Diane. Now, Minister Diane, she didn't even say nothing, but she also didn't have on her glasses. <laughs> that Joni said, Pastor Trish, you got mascara smeared all over your eye. I go in the doggone restroom. I look like Spot the Dog. <laughs> I mean, I got this big old glob. I'm like, I look like a child who was playing in their mama's makeup. Joni was being kind. Those other people were being nice. But being nice still permitted me to walk around looking crazy. Being kind helped me correct what was wrong. says, love refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. And a lot of times we are, we, we, we believe that we're not being jealous. But if I could just sit for a while in your space, 
right? Oh, yeah, I know. What you say? <laughs> sit in your space. Sit in your brain sometimes, especially let's, let's get real down and dirty with it. You are married. Y'all got a divorce. One of you go on and get married, and life seems to be doing them well. You mad about it. Now, call it what you will, but at the end of the day, it's jealousy. Y'all were dating three, four, five, six years. Never got married. Y'all break up. One of you meet somebody a year, a few months later. They get married in two years. You mad about it. Someone said, that's my story. <laughs> Girl, don't tell nobody that. <laughs> but you mad about it, right? That could be some jealousy. Someone did you wrong. Let's just say they stole from you. They said they was going to pay you back your money, and they didn't do it because, you know, we don't play about our money. And they never paid you back. And they go and buy themselves a new car. You see them rocking their, their gear and all that stuff, and, and, and you mad about it. And you see them in the, in the mall or on the street, and uh, as soon as you see them, fist clenches, jaws start clenching. What's up? <laughs> you mad about it. Now, if they were looking broke and they still owed you money, you ain't mad about it. <laughs> right? Those things, the root of those things can be jealousy. It says, it refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. It goes on to say, love does not brag about one's achievements or flates its own importance. Love does not brag about one's achievements or boast about their own importance. I said this earlier. I think it bears repeating. Gentlemen, my fellas, my brothers, captains, chiefs, listen. You are not your occupation. You are so much more than the job that pays you. Oftentimes, I'm overhearing conversations among men, and the first thing they want to talk about is what they do, how they got there, what they about to buy, what they about to do with that. And, and all that is great. Praise God. But that is not your identity card. You are a man of God. If you're married, you are a husband. If you are a father, then you are a father. And then you just happen to do these things with the gifts and, 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 and talents that you have. Praise God, you work good as you should. If a man don't work, he don't eat. You should provide for your family. But that is not who you are. That is not who you are. If you're working hard, you're working 10, 12 hours a day, but your family is suffering. You rock it, you buy it, you, 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 you whipping the Lexus, you got the five-bedroom house, the dog and the picket fence. But the kids don't know who daddy is. So to brag and boast about your achievement or inflate your own importance is not an expression of love. Now, your sacrifice is, but when that becomes more important than the time and who you are sharing that, 
That's when the job or the achievement becomes God. Goes on to say, love does not traffic shame and disrespect or selfishly seeks its own. Love does not traffic shame or disrespect or selfishly seeks its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Let me say that again. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Let me go over here and say it again. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. The issue with offense, the issue with offense often rests within the individual themselves. When you're offended with somebody and it causes you to deter your behavior and your action, your course of action, that's one thing to not like what somebody did. And you keep on moving. That's love. Because mind you, love is not when everything is nice and peaceful. That's not love. That's called agreement. Love is when it's tough. Love is when it's hard. Love is when it's real. Love is when it's uncomfortable. Notice none of this says love is buying flowers. None of this says love is is spending 12 hours, 6 hours going on 4 dates before you uh, get a kiss. I made that up. (laughs) He's not talking what love is as it pertains to what you should do. He's talking about what love is as in what you should sacrifice. So offense, I remember one time someone was, um, oh, let's talk about church stuff. Can we talk about church stuff? Yeah, let's talk about that. Like when somebody sit in the seat and ask you to move. And my usher stands up. Oh, you trying to park in a certain parking spot, but the parking ministry tells you to park over here. Oh, we're giving away gifts, but you mad because you can't get the one you want. I should be offended with y'all. I'm just playing. I love you all. I love you all. One time I got a little note that someone was offended, upset with me because I hugged other people around them and didn't hug them. Now, I know y'all need my hugs. I didn't remember the situation, but I can hug, I I hug who I can, but then I got to get to another spot, right? If I can distribute a thousand hugs on a Sunday, I would. Because I know they bring you life. <laughs> but I just can't do it, right? But she was offended by that. Now, I'm sorry, but was that my issue or was that that individual's issue? When they ask you to move and you're upset about it, is that the, the usher's issue or your issue? Because they're trying to get more people in. They're trying to make it more comfortable for other people to come in. And we want to save our seat for our purse. (laughs) Oh, I'm all in the Kool-Aid today. Say, I love love Pastor Trish Trish. because I know 
she loves me enough to speak the truth. Now, it goes on to say, love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Now, let's talk about this to my keep it 100, keep it real folk. It says, love joyfully celebrates honesty. But if your honesty does not bear fruit, guess what it is? You clapping back. You trying to check. Being in control. If it does not produce fruit, then what is the point? I remember one time I heard Joyce Myers talk about how someone had came and told, them, told her about something they did to her behind her back over 15 years ago. And they thought that they needed to confess. And she's like, when did that happen? And they said it was over 15 years ago. And she says, and what kind of fruit? Because now all I know now is to not trust you. Thank you for being honest, but it's not bearing fruit. Have you stolen since then? No. You've been upstanding in my eyes. I didn't think none the, I was none the wiser. Now, to come right after it happens, that's one thing. Fifteen years later, it didn't bear fruit. You understand? You all getting this? Now, it goes on to say, love is a safe place of shelter. Love is a safe place of shelter. Let me talk to spouses and dating folks for a minute. Love is a safe place of shelter. And oftentimes when we think of a safe place of shelter, we think about being safe in someone's presence. But you have to feel safe emotionally with someone else. You have to be able to be vulnerable with someone else, and they feel like it's okay, it's safe to be vulnerable. Love does not criticize, and love does not always have to have an answer. Sometimes love is just a shelter a safe place. Oftentimes, we encounter people who when, the, when someone, when a spouse or a loved one shares something with the individual, well, well why you do that? And what's up with that? And they, and they want to critique and, and analyze and solutionize, solutionize <laughs> the situation. And that is not a place of being emotionally secure. When we do that, we want to be able to go to people who we trust and be vulnerable and be encouraged. Yes, to be insightful with truth and love builds up. It doesn't tear down. Right? So love is a safe shelter. Then it goes on to say, for it never stops believing the best for others Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never gives up. Now, just because I love someone doesn't mean we keep having to share the same space. Sometimes love is healthier apart. That is love. When I'm wishing the best, when I am a supportive admonisher of the best for that person, though we may be miles apart, that's still love. If someone was abusive, a friend was abusive, some, a, her a, a ex-spouse was just not right, 
you are still commanded to love that individual, but it doesn't mean that you have to stay in the situation. What love is not? Love is not you being a doormat and saying yes to every situation. I oftentimes hear I'm tired of giving and being there for other people, but then nobody is there for me. Well, sometimes, uh, most times, that's not a condition of the other person, other people around you. That's a condition of your heart because what you do for other people now is not who you are. It's you doing stuff to get a response. And oftentimes, and it's not, listen, I don't want you to think that this is um, malicious or manipulative. It, can't, it is manipulative, but not consciously. We're talking about ch adverse childhood experiences, and if you go back to that, if I had to do this to get my parents to respond to this positively, well, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to adapt that behavior and think that this is what I need to do over here and over here and over here. So I am sacrificing myself, trying to get love in a way in which it can't be given to me because I can't receive it because it's not coming to me the way that I am. Why? Because you are not being who you authentically are. If someone's not going to like me, I'd rather them not like me based off of who I really am and not who I'm pretending to be. So I'm not going to be mama, cousin, auntie. I'm not going to be somebody else what somebody else want me to be for them. I will be who I am for them in the spaces that they need if I can. But if I cannot, listen to me clearly, if I cannot, then I'm okay with two very important letters. No. Because a yes sometimes is enabling. A yes many times is not good. A yes oftentimes is not fruitful or productive. But we'll say yes because we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. We think they need us and that, that, that Jesus is not answering his phone. Holy Spirit's not answering his phone. And I can't get him on the main line. And we think that we're the only ones that can come through for this individual. And the individual, you, you, have you ever encountered someone who tell you all that's going on in their lives, hoping you'll offer something? We've all done it, and we've all witnessed it, hoping, well, this is going on, this is going on, and, and my money ran short and everything else, and, and, I, I, and, I'm not, and all this is going on, and we hoping, uh, someone's hoping that, okay, well, you know, I can, I can help you out and do this for you. I used to fall for that all the time, and then I adopted the practice of Holy Spirit, what would you have me to do? And Holy Spirit would just tell me right in that instant. I remember, uh, and, and sometimes it's a yes, sometimes it's a no, sometimes it's a word. I remember we had a situation, uh, uh, had an experience with Apostle Michael Freeman. A pastor came up and was told, telling the story of how he went to Apostle Mike and he needed uh, X amount of dollars to make his uh, payment for his church building. And Michael, Apostle Mike was like, Holy Spirit told me don't give it to him. He said, I had it. I had the money right in my phone, you know, cash app, Venmo, whatever. He said, I had it to give him and would have never missed it. But Holy Spirit said no. 
And this man, this pastor, had to go sell his car to pay that bill. And he went without a car. But guess what? Holy, he learned Holy Spirit in that example, in that experience. And the man was up there blessing Apostle Mike with an, uh, way more than what he was lacking back then, right? So all that to say, love never gives up. But love also doesn't mean yes all the time. It doesn't mean yes all the time. Y'all get anything out of that? I'm going to end it right there. So let me end it with prayer. So, Father, I just thank you that as a result as this for, of this 45 minutes or so that we spent together in your word, that your people are increasing in awareness of what it means for you to love them, for them to love you, but for them to love themselves. As we begin this journey, Father, Holy Spirit, continue to show us us and help us to grow so that we are completely walking and uh, intentionally succeeding in this behavior, in this function, in this power called love. We thank you for it and receive it now in Jesus' name. Praise God. I trust that this message has touched your heart today. Listen, we don't claim to have all the answers, but we do know one answer. And his name is Jesus Christ. So if you don't have a personal relationship with him today, we want to invite you to do so. Or maybe you had one with him, but you've just gotten away and you're desiring to come back to Christ today. I want to lead you in a simple prayer today. If you would, repeat this after me. Put your hand over your heart and say these words. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died, rose from the grave, and he is alive right now. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me now. As a result of what I've confessed with my mouth and what I believe in my heart, I am right now born again and in right standing with God. In Jesus' name, praise God. We are so excited for you. We believe that today is the first day of the rest of your life. Congratulations. We are so excited that you made the decision to get connected to God. Thank you for listening today. If this message encouraged or inspired you in any way, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit us at linkedupchurch.com or download the Linked Up Church app. You can also watch live services, view past messages, and see our dynamic content for children, youth, and teens on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Linked Up Church. And if you would like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at linkedupchurch.com or text Get Connected to 94000. Thanks again for listening. Have an amazing week, and we look forward to connecting with you.